1: It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the Word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today, um, the Lord impresses on my heart to teach us a very wonderful mystery on faith. In one of the mandates that I feel in my heart I was given to do, was to teach faith. And that is something that I love to teach. I can teach. I understand it. Many of us, whenever we go to church, they are always telling us that if you have faith, all that you believe is what? Possible. The Bible says so. That all things are possible to whoever what? believes. And so sometimes, fundamentally, we ask ourselves the question, why isn't my faith working? Because perhaps somebody here has been dealing with a long-term disease and you're asking yourself, why isn't my faith working? So perhaps somebody here has been dealing with a marital issue for years. Your marriage is shaking. Saying, well, I've believed God, I've been taught and I'm doing everything that I know in the book to do. Why isn't my faith Working, there's somebody perhaps you've been struggling in your career for a very long time. There's probably a minister here who has been struggling in your calling and ministry for years. Why isn't this working? It's probably a woman listening to me and you believe God to bear children, conception, been married for many years and you've not seen your womb open. Ask yourself, why isn't this working? All of us, in one way or another, perhaps ask ourselves the question, when we get to places where we are stuck, And this the Lord began to show me years ago. The reason why usually our faith does not work is because of how we begin our walk of faith. How we apply ourselves on our first steps when we are believing God. Okay? I've shared this before and given us an example that you build an eight, story building with a foundation that can hold eight stories. See, you cannot build an eight story building when you lay the foundation that holds two stories. I've shared that before as an example. I usually love using that because many a time when we have challenges, many people actually do not consider the foundation, the beginning of things. And so when you try to fix, usually if it has fallen, we just try to build on top of that. And then it falls and then we build on top of that again. Then it falls and then we build on top of that again. And so you're the kind of person who you are trying, you are fighting your way through and you're applying yourself the way you know how you're rebuilding that business, that career, whatever you call it. But it only gets to a certain point and then what? Crumbles. And then you build again and then it what? Crumbles. So you're living a life of failure upon failure, even though there's evidence that you are applying yourself and giving whatever you can in your faith. You've actually not given up. You're fighting. You are a fighter. And we thank God for that. But why is it that whatever you build is getting destroyed in life? It's because perhaps the foundation by which you began this thing was wrong. So today I want to show us what the beginning of faith looks like and what it means. And if you understand this, if your spirit is able to get this, Believe me, you are going to live a life of victory in whatever you do when you choose to believe God. Somebody shout hallelujah. And there is a story of a wonderful miracle that Jesus performed in the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 14th chapter, which I believe many of you who have walked with God, who have been in the church in some way have encountered. You've come in contact with this story. And today I want to demystify a very beautiful mystery around this story, and you're never going to see this story the same again. And we begin in Matthew, the 14th chapter. Jesus departs uh, by a ship into a desert place, and people heard that he was there. They follow him on foot, and he's healing the sick. And when people hear that Jesus is healing, they go telling another, oh, there's this fellow who is healing the sick. And then crowds continue coming. People are gathering because there's a miracle happening. People continue coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And then the Bible tells us when he went forth in the 14th verse, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. He was moved by compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Okay. And right there is a secret in functioning in the healing anointing if I was seated in a master class okay what do I mean by master class you see when you are speaking to a congregation of people the kind of message that I give 10,000 people 15,000 people is different from the kind of message that I would give a certain group of people depending on where they are with god and what they are able to understand you see that when you study jesus you see that how he related with Peter, James, and John was different from how he related with the twelve, and how he related with the twelve was different from how he related with the rest of the disciples that followed him. You see, so it's not segregation. No, it's the wisdom to give what somebody is able to receive. You cannot cast pearls, all right. So, if I was in a teaching, for example, in a master class about the Pillars or fundamental principles of walking in the healing anointing. I know about seven of them. One of the fundamental ones, in fact, the core one principle of functioning in the healing anointing is connecting, affiliating. Oh, deeper than that, communing, being one with the compassion of our Lord. You see, the scripture has said, moved with compassion toward them, he healed their sick. Jesus did not heal because only he had the gift of healing. But there was a spirit that was driving him in healing the sick. And compassion is an important thing to carry. I see people who are lust, uh, who yearn from a carnal perspective to heal the sick. Oh, pray for me, Pastor. I also want to heal the sick like you do. And sometimes I want to help this person understand that there has to be a place of examining yourself to really know why actually Jesus heals the sick. It is out of the revelation of love, you know. It is not just a carnal desire so for you to demonstrate power. That's the difference between maturity and immaturity. You know, children love toys just for the sake of them giving fun to them at that particular point. And many, as you continue to grow, you realize that responsibility comes with everything that you are given. Children don't think that way. Are you following what I'm saying? And I can give my personal experience. I remember in my university, I had a field placement with a a palliative care institute, a hospice. Of course, they used to bring the terminally ill, stage four cancers. And people used to die. And I remember one day, I'm reflecting on my journal of the people that I had met through those couple of months that I was there. And almost all of them were dead. And I'll never forget the young man who died calling my name oh, I want grace. I want grace to pray for me. And he died in that much pain. Those things don't leave you the same again. They don't leave you the same again. I saw mothers that were dying. I saw little kids that were dying of buckets, lymphoma. I saw all kinds of diseases I and mean, illnesses. And I remember one day, it was an evening. It was about 8 p.m. I was coming from, you know, work there in the hospital. And I sat just under my father's tree and my heart sank. These people grow on you. You build relationships with them and they were dead. And I got so disturbed and I said, God, don't you care? These people are dying. How do we say that you heal and we're laying hands on these people? And nothing is changing. And in prayer, while I was under that tree, I actually wept. It was too painful because I'd lost some of them whom I had, you know, built a wonderful relationship with. And then an experience happened on that tree that I might not have time to explain. But something happens over me and the Lord shows me the revelation of what it means to be one in compassion with him. You see, to understand why he heals and the revelation of his love in the work of the miraculous. And I remember he put something on my life. He spoke in my ears that day something that sort of aligned me in understanding how the healing anointing works. And after that impartation under that tree, At home, my mother brings a lady who is dealing with uh, cancer, stage four. That was the first time I laid hands on a stage four terminally ill person. And in a week, they go back to check and there was no trace of cancerous cell in their body. So from then on, I started to see cancers heal. Even in this ministry, there are people in this room right here who have been healed of cancer stage two, stage three, stage four, whatever, cervical, whatever, prostate. We have a testimony. You know, recently another one had another stage four cervical. She was healed. Somebody brought her in, I think, a women's conference and she goes back to the doctor and it's normal. Some of you on the anniversary when you saw a woman with breast cancer and the tumor disappeared immediately. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The healing is taking place. But you must understand the heart of God in healing. Love does so much. The love of God, I'm not talking about what we call love, because whatever we feel, whether for our wives, our children, it's still inferior on the love God feels for us. And it's almost as though you can never learn to trust God to work in your life until you get a revelation of His love for you. You see, recently I landed on an interesting story of a man in China. His son was born uh, with an incurable disease. It sounds like Menkes syndrome or something like that. I don't know what doctors call it. It sounds like Menkes or something like that. And this thing, I think a child lacks some sort of potassium or something and then so it damages the liver, the bones and whatever. And then usually they don't live beyond three years. So this man is told that the best treatment to prolong the life of this child is a couple of miles away in Europe. And coming from a family in China that is not doing well financially, he's not able to raise the money to treat that boy. He's not able to take his boy to Europe for treatment. I believe in China there was no treatment uh, for that kind of disease because of how rare it is. So what he did, he goes on the internet and starts to study. This guy, he was a high school dropout. So he goes on the internet and starts to study. And studies and studies and studies and then he goes into the shops and starts to buy laboratory equipment. And then he set himself a lab And then he started following protocol and he started making a drug for his son. And I think the time I see this video, it's about a year now, this boy, his symptoms have not increased, okay? Neither has he gone down. No, his symptoms have not increased, but neither has he improved. That's the language. So it's somewhere in the middle there. And this guy feels that there's something he can continue doing to eventually restore because many of the kids that were identified with that disease, like his son, many of them are either now dead or some have deteriorated at speeds that are, you know, way higher than his son. And so they ask him, so where do you think this is going? And he's saying, if my son never makes it, at least it shall rest in my heart that I gave him hope every morning when I put drugs in his mouth. He tried it on himself, the whole process. So the government of China tells him, we don't have a problem, you exercising it on your child. We only have a problem if you do it on another. So take responsibility of that. If your child dies, it's your call. He's still treating his boy, the boy's alive. And in my head, I was like, what parent wouldn't do that if they had the ability? Or the other way to look at it is what a parent is willing to do to give life to their child. You see, sometimes I drive around the streets and I see these little small kids begging small little kids on the streets begging and some of them are in the, in the cold at night and sometimes I have packed and tried to engage them. Sometimes I've sent people there, church members, and I say, I saw a kid here. Please go and check this kid out because I cannot imagine, my goodness, my child would have been here. But by God's grace, my daughter is not on that street begging. I could have been that child. You see, those things never leave you the same. They never leave you the same. If I can care even for a child that is not mine, How much more would I care for my own? Are you following? If we love our children so much that we'll be willing to take their place in anything for them to be healed and delivered, how much more do you think your heavenly father feels when you are sick? If you never understand that, you will never walk in divine health. You'll always function in unbelief. God loves you more than your mother loves you. God loves you more than your biological father will ever love you. He is the most perfect of all love. He is love, love, agape. So if you cannot connect to that love, it's possible that you might never walk in divine health or you'll never understand the power that can heal any sickness. You've seen crippled people walking in this ministry. That's all an expression of God's love. The Bible calls it faith that walketh through love. You see, faith that worketh by love. When love is revealed, faith works. Galatians 5:6. Faith which worketh by love. Somebody shout, Hallelujah! Glory to God. So, in verses 15, as we we're reading, of course, he's moved by compassion, he's healing the sick, multitudes are coming. Verses 15: when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and that the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves some victuals. Victuals is anything to eat, that they might buy themselves some food. Now, the Bible tells us, And Jesus said unto them, They need not to depart. Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. Looking up to heaven, he blessed them broke and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitudes. And they did all eat and they were filled and they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. 5,000 men besides women and children. That means he fed more than 5,000 people. They did not count the children. They did not count the women. And there goes the miracle. Of feeding the 5,000. What makes this miracle unique? I'll tell you what makes this miracle unique. Number one, it's the only miracle recorded in all the four gospels. This miracle is the only miracle recorded in all the four gospels. We have had miracles recorded in two gospels and not recorded in the other two. Some are recorded in three and not recorded in that one. Some recorded in one and not recorded in the other three. But this is that one miracle that God intended should be recorded by all the four Gospels. There must be something fundamental about this miracle. And for those of you who go back home to study more, because in this ministry, we have people who take time to really go back through the Word and rewatch the sermons and study deeply so they can connect to the things I'm not able to articulate in the time that I'm given. In Mark chapter 6, verse 30, there is an account of this miracle. Mark chapter 6 verses 30 up to verses 44. For those of you who are reading, you will read that in your free time. It's also in Luke chapter 9 verses 10 to 17. And it's also in John chapter 6 verses 1 to verses 14. So it's in John, it's in Luke, it's in Mark and it is in Matthew where I read it today. And there's a reason why God shows that this would go through all the four Gospels. Again, for a student of the Word, and I'll leave you with a a word of wisdom. When you are studying the Word, if you can go through Scripture and find, for example, a miracle that has happened in one gospel, but also happens in the other one or two, take time to study both so that you can get the differences of things, the innuendos that are hidden there, the instructions that might not come directly, but as you compare and juxtapose, God will always open your eyes to see what many people are not able to see because it's no mistake that some of these miracles are repeated. And even though they are repeated, those little variations are able to show you by revelation what one writer saw and what the other writer did not see. And that's a very important thing. If you're a student of the Word, it will amaze you when you start to bring these things together. The Spirit of Revelation amazes when God can break these things down for you. But you have to take that responsibility to study these things deeper. So it's in such a case that I also want to bring this conversation, bringing comparison not only from the Gospel of Matthew that I'm reading, but I also want to bring that comparison in the Gospel of John as John reads this story because John sees it differently. And sometimes why do they be different in narrative? One, because sometimes these two men, even though they're on the same ground where the miracle is, perhaps they're different places within that place. And some activities that are happening with them wherever they are, might not coincide with the activities happening with the other, and yet both of them are giving an account as they see things. You see? If you're on a meeting, when we do Thursday, and somebody's sitting in front, okay, they can go back and say, ah, we noticed a spot on uh, Pastor's jacket who was here, right? That person is near, so they notice the what? The spot. And then the person in the back will say, I didn't see it. Of course you didn't see it. Okay? What about the cameras? Yes, the cameras are wonderful, but they're slightly farther from the person in front and the lens of a camera might not be able to give the picture that the human eye is able to give. So these are two people that have given two different accounts about what they have seen and they might even argue about it. How come the camera didn't show it? Okay, because probably the camera is not able to see, but they will all narrate differently. And one might pick the detail of the spot on my jacket and another one might not be able to what? Pick it. So it is this way. Now, if you go to John and you're going to see how beautiful this thing is. If you go to John, if we will read, I think let's begin from uh, verses 1. You see, again, it's the same story. He's over the Sea of Galilee, which is at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Bible tells us in verses 2, a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. That is not different from what Matthew is telling us. That people were what? Were following him. And then he went up into a mountain and there he sat with his disciples and the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Now, that means he's doing miracles, follow. And then as he's doing miracles, people are following him. Oh, we have had dilemmas walked. Oh, my sister was blind. And then people are following him. And then he goes up the mountain and then people follow him. And then he goes there with his what? With his disciples. And as he's up there, more people come what? Toward him. Of course, there should be people on the mountain with him and the disciples, but then there are more people that are with him on the what? On the mountain. Now, the Bible says, he lifted up his eyes, verses five. Now, this is John's account. And then saw a great company come unto him and he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? You see? John has given us an account that Matthew did not give us. And this is that there's a conversation that Jesus Christ had with Philip. How or where are we going to get food to feed these people? Verse six, and the Bible says, and this he said, that is Jesus, to prove him for he himself knew what he would do. Wow, Jesus is asking Philip, How, where are we going to get food to feed these people? And this, the Bible says, he's saying that to prove Philip. But he, Jesus, knows what to do. And the Bible says, and Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them might take a what? A little. You see, similar issue. But then God has given us something here that is so beautiful. That what Matthew misses out was, This little conversation that God has with Philip, which John might have heard because he was the guy who usually used to sit next to Jesus. And perhaps at that particular point, Peter and Luke and Mark are perhaps trying to help people sit. They're trying to bring order in the house. So it's possible that they did not pick that what? That detail. Now, listen to this. Jesus is not asking Philip because he's stuck with a problem of feeding men. Jesus is asking Philip a question because he is trying to prove Philip as a man. He's trying to try his faith. The Bible calls it the trial of your faith, which is more precious than what? Than gold. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, I take time now to study Philip as a man. I took time to study Philip as a man. And when you study these disciples, especially now men like Philip, you realize that Philip was a very unique species. He was a very unique man. He had a certain understanding of God that not many of the disciples that walked with Jesus had. In fact, if you read keenly, Jesus had started to prepare Philip for a greater work in life. But Philip, I believe, had not picked the seriousness of what God was trying to do with him. How do I know? The first time Jesus appears to his disciples and taps Philip and tells him, you follow me, immediately, Philip follows who? Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says the next day he goes looking for a man called Nathanael and tells him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, if Philip has told Nathanael that we have found him, the son of Joseph, and this guy we've found is not just a prophet, but he was spoken of through in the law of Moses as the one to come. That means... Philip knew who Jesus was. He knew who Jesus was. He knew that he was not an ordinary prophet. He knew that he was not a usual fellow. When they called him, he got an epiphany, a revelation of God that there's something about this man that has called us and this should be the one that Moses had prophesied about an earlier that he was to come. And if you read the scriptures keenly, you also realize that it was prophesied in the Old Testament that Nathanael was to meet Jesus. So Philip is in the middle of a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophetic utterance of Nathaniel meeting Jesus one day and Jesus has to use him because he can pick spiritual things more than anyone. Are you following what I'm saying? So he's no usual guy. That is why after the miracle feeding the 5,000, the next verses there, Jesus takes his disciples aside and asks them, who do you think I am? Who do men say I am? And who do you think I am? And that's why Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus tells him, flesh and blood reveal this not unto you, but my father which is in heaven. And he says, from today, you're not Simon Bajona, but you are Simon Peter. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He got the grace to lay the foundation of the gospel as we know it now through his revelation of who the Christ was. Why? Because Philip had missed something in the approval. Philip's approval preceded Jesus' question of who do you think I am? Why would Jesus ask who do you think I am? He's asking that because the person whom he thought knew missed it in the instruction prayer. Why? At the point when men had gathered and Jesus asks this man, what do you think we should do Because there's many a multitude that have come. How are we going to feed them? Jesus is saying, I was not asking you that question, Philip, because I did not have an answer. I was asking you that question because I wanted to prove you. I wanted to build something through you. Philip was that kind of man. Later on in scripture, if you're read, at one particular point, Philip walks to other master and asks him, Jesus, show us plainly the Father. Show us plainly the Father. Now, if you study the Greek... There, the language used in Shorah's playing the Father, he was not speaking from a carnal perspective of bringing physically so we can see him. Actually, Philip was asking for a spiritual experience. Epiphany again. You see, he was asking for a spiritual experience. He was a man who knew or who was always connected to the things of the Spirit. And Jesus always knew that Philip had this eye. But this time, Philip missed it. Because when Jesus is asking, what should we do to feed these people? He's trying to prove this guy. He's trying to bring something out of him that was unusual and perhaps use him to cascade that through all the disciples. Are you following what I'm saying? And then Philip missed that. And then the Lord showed me that there are even instances God has wanted to prove our faith. And in some instances, he asked us questions within the challenges that we had, and many of us were not open to understand that this was God speaking, and maybe brushed that off as though, ah, this is my thought. You see, that question might have come like, huh, how am I going to pay this debt? And maybe that question was not you asking. It was the Spirit of God in you trying to find an answer for a debt that you've tried to pay many times and you have failed. How am I going to go through this career? How am I going to fix this marriage? What am I going to do in this ministry now that I'm stuck? How am I going to pay this rent? How am I going to break through this? How am I going to get healing for my body? How am I going to get healing for my son? And some of those questions come in our spirits every now and then. Unfortunately, when we do not know the ways of God, it is easy to miss him. Because God is not asking through you because he didn't have an answer. Hello? He's asking through you because he wants to prove you like he did that to Philip. You must know the ways of God. Because I've seen people who have missed God. I have seen people who have missed God at the point when he was almost going to do the greatest miracle of their life because they do not know when he is speaking. So fast forward, Philip tells him a kernel answer that we need 200 penny worth of money. In fact, it might not even be enough to feed these people. So when we see that kind of silence, with Jesus not answering Philip, father, if you go back to the story of Matthew, you see Jesus, I believe, continues doing his miracles, healing the sick. He just continues doing that because this conversation with Philip was when the multitude had just come. Okay? So they need time with him, his healing. That conversation, Jesus keeps a mental note and keeps it there and just continues doing his business until evening. So this is where Matthew now picks the account where now it's evening. They've been healing people the whole day. People have been testifying. And then by wisdom, these disciples come to him and tell him, you know what? It is evening and we are so far. We're in the desert. super far from the villages. Let us release them early so they can go back home and get themselves some what? Some food. Now I think you can connect. But don't forget some conversation had been opened earlier in the morning, perhaps with Philip that has not been Finished. Now, this is where now Matthew comes through when they come to him and tell him, You know what, Jesus, let's release this so they can go get food. We're in a desert, they're far. That's when Jesus now turns to them and tells them, You don't have to send them away. They don't need to depart. They can depart, but he's telling them they don't need to depart. Next line Give ye them to. Give them something to eat. Who is following what I'm saying? You give them some to eat. I believe that's when they're like, we don't have anything. And it's like, look through yourselves. And then they go through, who has food, who has food, to see whether that's enough to feed them. And then they find five loaves of bread and two what? Two fishes. And then come back to him and tell him, you know, We have searched everywhere and all we have is a young boy and I think now John picks that detail that I believe it was uh, Andrew. That was Simon Peter's brother. He's the one who picks that detail and comes back and tells him, "Ah, there's a boy with five loaves of bread and two fishes. You see, John has the detail of who brought that detail. Then he says, you know what? Bring it to me. They bring it to Jesus. He puts the basket of those foods up, puts them down and a miracle happens and 5,000 men eat Minus women and children, which were not counted that day because the Jewish culture then was patriarchal in its own way. We're still dealing with a lot of that narrative. That's why some people frustrate women ministries. But That's for another day. Anyway, thousands of people eat, maybe 10,000 or so eat. And then they have 12 baskets full of the fragments that were left over because people had what? Had eaten. Now here is the challenge. That when these disciples come to him telling him, Jesus release the people, And then he tells them, you don't need to get them what to eat. They might assume that Jesus Christ did not know how much food was on that ground that day. He knew. He knew that there was not enough food to feed the 5,000. He didn't say, let me pray so God will bring food. He told them, you get them food. Right there was supposed to be the first miracle done by the disciples right there, right there. But because they did not understand the way of God, they did not understand how God functions, they did not understand how faith works, they started now to incline to whatever they had was available for them because they don't know what else to do. Well, how much food is available? Tell them, okay, bring that. Let me come and work with that. And here is the mystery that The faith of God never draws from your human potential or the ambits of your provision. It is entirely inclined to divine resources. When the word of God has said, go and give them food. Do not think that he does not know that there is not enough food in the camp. Nor does he not know that you don't have enough money. But he's trying to tell you that the beginning and way of faith comes from you understanding that God does not need anything from you to do what he has commanded you to do. It does not come with your sufficiency. It does not come with your competence. It does not come with your credential. It does not come with your gifting. It does not come with your talent. It entirely comes from the power of the word that was sent out of God to tell you, you feed them. And the disciples missed it. Then he said, okay, I think I know where you see from. Okay, what do you have? Bring a point of contact. And the point of contact was five loaves of bread and what? two fish. And let me tell you a mystery. Some of you should learn how God works. Points of contact are spiritual. They are biblical. These are things God has given us by design to be able to connect to inner realms and the graces that are available for our salvation. You remember the story of Paul, how God wrote special miracles by Paul that the handkerchiefs attached him put on the sick and them which were diseased were healed and evil spirits left them. God can use anything that your identity carries if you know how to commend yourself, the Bible says, to the consciences of men. I have given hunkies to people and they've put them on the sick and they were healed. In Barara, they got a blind man and put him before my poster announcing the crusade and that man's eyes saw. We carry the power that can transport the anointing to a person in whichever way we carry that that never doubt that you can put your hand on something and it transfers what power god has given that to you points of conduct even though can be applied for your healing they are still not the superior realm of what of function i'll give you an example in this instance what if there was no fish no loaves of bread would five thousand men have eaten yes or no So does God need a point of contact to do a miracle? Yet he is the God who created something out of nothing. He doesn't need. He doesn't need. And like Paul would send a hunky and people are healed, which is okay if you ask for it, I can give it to you and the sick are healed. A Roman centurion comes to Jesus and tells him, my servant is sick. And Jesus tells the guy, okay, you want me to come to your house? And he tells him, "Ah, ah, ah, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. I know how this principle works. I'm a man under authority. And I know that I'm also unworthy for you to come under my roof. But because I'm a centurion, I know how... Authority works. When I tell my soldier come, they come. When I tell them jump, they jump. When I tell them let's attack, they attack. I know that whatever word you speak is subject to your authority to perform. You send forth a word. Did God send a point of contact? No. He just sent a word. The Bible even tells us the moment he said it. The Bible says, Jesus marveled. Now, it's hard to marvel Jesus. But the Bible says, Jesus heard it and he marveled. And he said to them that followed, not to this man. He turns to his disciples and tell them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I have not seen such great faith. Not in Israel. That means that the greatest faith demonstrated that day was not by a Jew. It was by a Gentile who understood the mystery of how the Word of God works and he said, I don't even need a point of contact. Just send a word. I don't need a point of contact. Just put that sermon and I hear it. I don't need a person to lay a hand on me. Uh-uh. Just put a faith theory, and I listen to it. I know that that disease will heal. Just put. We had gone to one of the hotels to officiate a wedding and then we find a security guard on the door, and the guy says that somebody gave him my summons, okay? And his mother was dying of cancer of the breast. Then he told me that I realized that I don't need to come and call you to pray for my mother. I said, I have you here. I have you here. He says, I got my phone and then I went to my mother and I got the phone and I put it on her breast. And then I play your summon and then the tumour disappeared. <laughs> so from then on when the mother has a problem, say, says, son, play that thing. Put it here. For him, he says, the moment he plays my sermon, he knows it will be fixed. You know why? He doesn't need a point of contact. Jesus said, you err, not knowing the scriptures, know their power. I don't know how many people are still going, oh, stay in the line with the prophet. You're in the line waiting for the prophet. You're waiting until he calls you. You've booked an appointment for this prophet. He has to touch you. <laughs> Yet you have the sword of prophecy, which you do good to heed towards a light that shines in darkness oh, I'm waiting for the man of God. If the man of God does not come, they brought me a lady, she was paralyzed. They took her to a certain man of God who they say heals, the sick, And they told her, the next time to see this man is in September. And she went there in June, I think. So she has to stay paralyzed till September. Oh, oh, oh. Some of you are waiting for points of contact to be delivered. Oh, no, it's okay. By the way, it's okay. But there's a superior place. You can live higher than a point of contact. Yeah, you can live higher than a point of contact. I know a man, there was a lady, she was a Muslim lady. Her leg was swollen, 11 years, I think some of you know the story. So this man of God gave her my number and said, I have spoken to the man of God, call him. She called me. I said, hello? Her leg shrunk back. It shrunk back. She threw the phone away and started screaming, whoa! So, you couldn't believe. Why? Because I didn't need to, Father. No, the voice is enough. Let me tell you. Some of you should understand. Some of you should understand. Some of you should understand how God works. That you don't need to go through a whole process to get a miracle. You can get that word inside your spirit. And Jesus called that great faith. Great faith. Great faith great faith. Why? Because we commend ourselves to the consciences of men. We are introduced in the spirit realm. A woman had dying kidneys. Both of them had died. Dialysis. And then she dreams in the night, I'm praying for her. She woke up and her kidneys were working. There was no point of contact. No, it was just spiritual. Some of you must understand how God works. Hey, some of you think that you have to go to a special mountain to see God. No, you can get into your room right now and open the Bible and start speaking words and your body can start agreeing and responding not by power, not by might, but by my spirit says the Lord. Come to us when you tried first and failed, but first try. Oh, hey, Pastor, no, you first macobara <laughs> ziga, Die in Jesus' name. First do it, first do it. Hallelujah, glory to God. This is what Jesus is telling them. Oh, the people are hungry. Let's send them away for food. He tells them, uh ah, You feed them. But you're Jesus. Yes, I know. You see, let me explain this. Let me prove that this was supposed to be a disciples' day. When you go to the story of Moses and he has come with about 360,000 people from Egypt and he's going through the wilderness, you see? You see the story where he is struggling to feed what? The children of Israel. You remember? And then he's overwhelmed. Give us meat. He's overwhelmed. He tells God, if you don't take this away, I'm going to die. And then God tells him, you know what? Let me get 70 men and I shall get of your spirit and put it on them that they might be able to undergird you in the distribution of food so that you will give yourself wholly to serving me and hearing my voice. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Let me explain why God would do that. Because it was not the will of God for the man of God which is teaching, for the man of God which is praying for the sick, to be the one to engage himself in the distribution of food. It wasn't. That's why God poured the spirit of Moses on 270 men so they would do that so Moses would invest himself in what? Prayer and ministering to people. It happened again in the New Testament. The apostles were involved in the distribution of food. Now as they continued multiplying, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. This was a problem. In the New Testament, was there scarcity of food? No. They were multiplying. People were growing in number. I'm talking about a challenge that comes when the ministry is growing. And neither was the food scarce. But they just didn't have the wisdom. And food was going to break the church. There's a teaching there for ministers. Food was going to break the church. They are in the spirit of multiplication. But they don't carry the right wisdom to draw systems of administration. To manage the growth with which God has given them. Some ministers do not know that as the ministry continues to grow, you must evolve, adopt and mutate and build systems and structures that should provide for the ministry to grow. Otherwise, you can frustrate the work of God because you don't know how it works. So the disciples are disturbed. The apostles are disturbed. And then God tells them, you know what? Get seven men full of the Holy Spirit, honest report and with wisdom. And they appointed them in the business of distributing and working out the whole food issue and it says we allow them to engage themselves in that business that we might give ourselves to prayer and the reading of the word now at my level apostle grace i cannot be involved in the distribution of food it's an error but i know pastors who have big ministries and they're still in the distribution of food you see if it was going to break the early church it can break my ministry this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm healing the sick. I'm cleansing lepers. Miracles are happening. I cannot be the one to distribute food. You give them food, but there's no food. Do the miracle. Did you get it? You do the miracle. There's no food. And it's like, okay, they don't get it. All right, what do you have? Point of contact? Uh-huh. What do you have? Five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring And then he did the miracle and they missed it out. Why? Because God has designed life for you to be a participator in his work. The Bible says in Corinthians that we are co-laborers with Christ, fellow workmen, joint promoters and laborers together with and for God. That's what the Bible says. God might want to raise a dead woman at two and heaven has planned for her to wake up. Example heaven has planned for at what to wake up at what? At two. Now he wants you to share in that glory. So what will he do? He will align you by instruction, and for some reason, you're going to reach there at 150, and they will tell you there's a woman which is dead there. Like Jesus knew what he was going to do. Oh, 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 oh. like it did not start by heaven saying, hmm, what are we going to do? It was not a predictable cause of trying to find out answers, of providing for the 5,000. No, before this event had happened, heaven had already planned to give food. <laughs> either by a disciple of Jesus. Jesus could do that, a disciple would do that, but heaven had already, the Bible says God knew what he would do. Do you know what he should do? Because many a times that's what we struggle with. Jesus already knows that he's going to heal you, but do you know your part? He knows that he's going to deliver you, but do you know your part? He knows that you're going to break through this thing, but do you know your part? He knows that he's going to fix your body. That disease is going to leave your blood, but do you know what you're supposed to do? Philip did not know what he would do, but God knew what he would do. It's the same thing here. Heaven had planned, and if you understand that, that there is no will, no purpose of God that is established on the earth without its provision prayer and a plan for it to succeed and stand as God has ordained it, you will lose a very important aspect of living the work of faith. If God called me in Fanero to be a minister, our biggest problem right now is space. But be not confused to think that heaven is thinking of finding us a place. Nah, 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 nah. The 5,000 are coming with their daughters and children and wives. And heaven has already gotten a plan of where they are going to sit. <laughs> Jesus is not going to come from heaven and teach them. No. He will tell Grace Luega, give them what? Who has understood it? <laughs> to eat. That's my responsibility. I have to stand here every Thursday or Sunday whenever day God has given me to make sure that I give you revelation. This all that has to be dispelled. Demystify all that has to be demystified. That's my responsibility. The faith that brings me on this altar is the understanding that he which planted this day and put you there must give me the oracle to transform and translate you to your next place of influence, power, affluence, deliverance, change, transformation. I must believe in the God who set me up here. But also I see that when I think land, I already see that it is bought because there was no way Fanero would grow without a place. Are you hearing me? When I see building, I already see that that building is already built. Whether we have the money physically now or we don't have, God knows what to do. The question is, do I know what to do? Nothing God will ever set you into has He already not provided for how it should end. But by asking Philip, What should we do for these people? He's trying to invite him into this narrative. Oh, so at 1.50 you came in and they told you there's a sick woman. And then he said, ha, I think let me call Pastor Zach. Go in, go in right there. And start speaking in tongues. Jesus knows what he will do. Jesus knows what he will do. Jesus knows what he will do. Just put your hand and say, Come on, close your eyes. Let's pray. And that woman will cough up. What will the headlines read the next day? Young lady by the name of Rachel. Resurrected woman in Kamuli. But then, do you know how usually it feels like? Man called Apostle Grace and he prayed and the person healed. That's how usually the testimonies come. You know why? Because some of us have learned to be collaborators with him. We have learned to be where the magic is working, where the miracles are. We've learned to stand, to believe God and know that by the time he has put me here next to a dying woman, there must be an answer from my hand. Why did they call me? Why didn't they call anybody else? Why am I the one in that room and at that particular point? Ah, Let's go. Somebody shout hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, learn to risk in faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah, shout glory to God, <laughs> give them to eat. When Moses reached the sea, the Egyptians are chasing after them with their horses and chariots, and before them is water. And then Moses stands to God, What are you going to do? They're going to kill us. And God told Moses, But the sea, he told him, But the sea, you separate the waters. But your God, you, you, Moses, separate the waters. He told him, divide the sea. He did not tell him, you do this and I will divide it. No! He told Moses, divide the sea. Now imagine Moses is there and thousands are watching him and then he just gets this thing and like, oh, and then the waters open and they're walking through. Imagine everybody how they are looking at Moses. God was in the plan. He was just looking for you to participate. In it. God was in it. God was in it. That is why you know me. You know me. When I'm on crusades, I start saying, The lemma walking now. Check yourselves. If you've never walked before, walk out of your wheelchair, throw your clutch, and then they start running. Oh, why? Because I chose to be a part of what God is doing. Jesus was not supposed to distribute bread. It was the responsibility of his disciples because his way was to preach and heal the sick. That was the time if Philip had understood what Jesus was saying that morning, he would have realized it was an opportunity to prove him. He would have gotten to his friends and told them, you know what? There's no food already. We need to plan right now to do a miracle. We need to plan because the man who sent me, (laughs) the man who is with us, asking what are we going to do, yet he is God, does not mean that he is short of it's not a statement of witness. It is a provocation of our faith to be proved. He says that the proving of your faith, the trial of your faith, is more precious than gold. And then I see, if Philip had understood what you and I understand now, he would have told his fellow disciples, let's make this guy sit. If he wanted a point of contact, he would have asked, what do you have? If he had greater faith, he would have simply said, get baskets and start distributing food. (laughs) And do you know what that portion of Scripture could have read like? It could have read like the first miracle of the disciples through Philip. Or the first miracle of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And it would have sounded like great multitudes came and then he felt compassion on them and healed all their sick. And whilst healing them, it was even and they needed to go back to the villages. To what? To get food. But we went to Jesus and he said, you don't need to send them away. And then he told them, feed them. There and then Philip, Peter, Timothy, James and John gathered the 5,000, put them in groups of 50s and prayed to God. And eventually every basket was full of food, but they missed the Narrative. They miss the narrative. They miss the narrative. Apostle, no man has spoken to me for 20 years. And if you brought that to Jesus, he would tell you, get married. <laughs> but how do I, when no man has approached me, they don't need to approach you? Get married. That's how Jesus speaks. Come on, somebody. I tell you, my wife is my witness that sometimes, even when I have not looked at my account, some deals come and I just find myself buying properties. There was a time my wife looked at me and said, God, help me, me, help me. Because if you don't understand how crazy you should be, my goodness. And then they tell you buy this land and then buy this one and then you're in the middle of like three or four transactions and you don't even know how the money is going to come. But God has told you buy it. And Isaiah has justified it by telling you come without money and buy. You don't need money to buy there's somebody saying I would have bought a nice car but I don't have a job I need to get a job first and then I need to oh Bambi 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 you're looking into your sufficiency you're inclining in your ability and the credentials that you carry to fulfill the God dream on your life you are living in the past you're living in unbelief faith is simple it is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen you don't need to have a million dollars to build a multi-million dollar building you can actually build it even without a job what? Yes, you can build it without what? Yes, you can build it without a job because it says in Isaiah, you don't need to have money to buy, money has to follow you. Somebody shout, Hallelujah, glory to God! (laughs) And so I find myself committing on certain things, and then before I know that, I have paid off any, I've never been indebted in debt with any man. I buy them in, whether you're telling me it's how much. When my eyes say that I'm going for it, and the voice of God tells me go for it, I don't look at how much I have on my. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I just go and buy, and I have bought it all to the glory of God. And that's how I live. Oh, I wish you understand this. When men's conference reaches, I just say, put the chairs. I don't know how they're going to come, but they will come. And then they feel. Women's conference comes, the adversaries come. Do you buy, feel? God just wants you to take that step to do it. do it. Just do it, 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 just do it. Oh, there's a woman here, she's saying I'm tired of renting. the landlords are chasing me out. Here's the message, darling, build yourself a house. But if I cannot pay the landlord, how do I build myself a house? Okay, how much do you have? I have 10,000. Go buy bricks. Buy your first bricks. But where will I put them? I don't have land. Put them in your house. Who has understood what I just said? Jesus, I need a job. Go work. Where? Go work. Where? Go work. Just go work. I have somebody recently, they live out of this country, they gave me a testimony. I was preaching about, you know, how to attract these things and faith. And then I spoke about this thing of jobs. eh? He said he woke up the next day and put on a suit and dressed like he was going to work without any appointment letter. He mixed his tea, drank his tea. His spirit just told him, you know what, just walk out. He says, as he was walking out, Somebody called him. Somebody, you know, some of you, they will never call you because you don't even have the faith to put on that suit. You, oh! Somebody called him and told him, oh, do you work? Come, let's meet. And he got a job that day, close of business. Close of business. I know another young lady, I think she lives in the UK or something. She had me preach one day. She went for a job interview. When she went on the job interview, after that, they told her we'll call you in two weeks. She went out of that job interview, went in the cafe across, and sat there the whole day and said, I'm getting my appointment to. <laughs> she sat there for about maybe 10 or something, 11. She told me it's coming about 5. That same company calls and tells her, you know what? We will not wait for two weeks. When can you pick your appointment later? She told them, I'm just downstairs here across, taking coffee. That... Do you understand what? Am I communicating faith here? She could have called me to pray, but no. She took her miracle. Are you hearing? And believe God for what he says. I've been barren for five years. Get pregnant. We've tried to get pregnant. I'm tired of walking by a car. But I can't even afford transporting by a car. Now I understand the words of Marie Antoinette. You remember those of us who did history. In the time when France was wanting and people were poor and then they go to her and then she tells them if bread is expensive, buy cake. Come on! People call that rude but I think Jesus would say it. Because the God who tells you to get them what to eat when there is nothing and is not looking at your sufficiency what or who told you that that school you have always wanted to build needed the capital you think from your pockets of borrowing and... Tra- who told you? Who told you? It's in your head. It's not the way of God that I need to borrow. Then after borrowing, then I didn't talk to some guy and then I have this uncle who is in America when he sends money and then the day he does and send that money, your vision is gone. Who told you that God needs a certain guy to come through and build what he has placed on your life? This is your mind thinking. That's not the way of God. He's not looking at your sufficiency. He's not looking in the ambits of your provision. No! He's looking to his word when he told you. That's why the mystery says, he that giveth seed to the sower, 2 Corinthians 9.10, he that ministereth seed to the sower, is the one who even gives you the seed. Follow me. He's the one who even gives you the seed. Luke eight eleven says that the parable is that the seed is the word of God. But what is that parable? That parable is the parable on which all the parables of Scripture dwell. In fact, if some of you have read Scripture, you remember that parable of the farmer went for sowing seeds and then some fell on dry ground and then some fell on thorny ground and then some fell in the good ground and, you know, and some brought 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Jesus tells his disciples, if you are not able to understand this parable, how will you be able to understand all the parables? Mark 4:13, Meaning that the parable of the sower is the foundational revelation of the work of God in the word and how it's planted in you and what it is able to perform when you understand how to get a hold of it. And he says, if you don't get this parable, you'll never understand any parable. Oh no, but I was in Sunday and the pastor explained the parable of wheat and what, and I understood it. No, your mind had a scent and it agrees with the understanding, but it's not a revelation in your heart if the other parable of the sower has not sat in your spirit. There's a difference between the 30 fold, the 60 fold and the 100 fold. Why some of us seem to get more in life than others, yet we are all doing things for God. He says, if you don't get this parable, you'll never get any parable. So why shouldn't you study it? You see, because if you understand this parable, every other parable of Jesus Christ will align itself to the reality of the base and foundation. This is the definition and the beginning of faith. If a man knows how to get that word in their heart, which is the ground, whether prophet or no prophet, they will be a success. Whether Apostle prophesied or did not prophesy that, they will be a success. Whether they dreamt it that it changed or they didn't dream it, they will be a success. Whether they dreamt cows chasing them and goats eating them and cats, you know, taking off their nails, it doesn't matter. He said if that man knows how to get that word inside their spirit, nothing. He said they don't know the power of the word. Now in Corinthians, he says, I'm the one which even gave you that seed, which is the word, to the sower. And he gives you bread for your what? For your food. In other words, when that seed is planted, he's the one who even gives or makes sure that whatever you have planted comes with its results. And the Bible says, and he multiplies your seed sown and increases the fruits of your righteousness. It's his responsibility to also multiply what you have planted. What God never does according to 2 Corinthians 9:10 is he doesn't sow for you. He will give you the seed, which is the word, but God does not sow. And if you dare sow it, the Bible says he'll make sure that bread comes out from your sowing. And he will make sure that he will multiply everything you sow. You just need to know how to sow. The problem with that generation is when they're talking about sowing, people think about what? Because our pastors have also become funny. Can you sow a seed? You know, it begins from the revelation of the word and how, listen, you speak it to your heart first and believe it in here. That is the first sowing to believe that word in your heart and allow it to take its course. And then eventually the actions follow what you have believed in your heart. I've told people, those of you who have worked with me, we believed that we're going to have the biggest church in Uganda, extended biggest Africa, extended biggest in the world, while I was still on border borders. We used to sit on border borders in the evening at 6 and we used to sit with these boys in my career when they were little boys putting on slippers and shorts. And we used to pray in the evenings from six to nine. And I used to tell them, guys, what you see, even though you see me sitting on the border, oh, it is bigger. And Harris told them, we're going to shake this nation. Harris told them, we're going to do this. We're going on international televisions. We're going to be here and there. And everything I have spoken has been so and not otherwise. This is the difference. This is the difference. When he ministered the seed, I sowed it. I sowed it. I believed it in my heart. I believed it in my heart. I believed it in my heart. You must believe this word in your heart. You must believe it in your heart. If he says that you're a success, believe it in your heart. If he says that you're going to be the richest man in the world, don't even ask how. But I do 8 to 6 p.m. job. But you know, my shifts cannot allow. I only make $10 an hour. It's inconsequential. It even has no bearing with what God has said. Are you going to divide the sea, or are you going to continue complaining on how much dollars you want per hour? Are you going to become, or you're just going to simply start pointing at everything that just cannot make you be get wealth? That's what he says. Now, when you understand that, everywhere you go, you feel the spirit of God draw you to perform. According to the demand of heaven, not your sufficiency. Paul says, not that the sufficiencies of us as of to think of anything by us, but he says, but the sufficiencies of God, which has made us able ministers of the New Testament. He has made us able ministers. That means you enter every situation as one which is in charge. You take charge of everything. You don't enter as a victim. You don't come in as a survivor. You know some of you just enter the, even life. Your life of prayer is a place of survivor. Jesus, if only you, you can give me a chance to also get a job. What? What? Hasn't the Bible said that He has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness? Hasn't the Bible said that He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly blessings in Christ Jesus? What does He owe you? He's given you all that you'll ever need to live a successful life. He's only trying to tell you activate it. Activate it. When you understand the power to become. Every time you are performing in that power, your vision and response to life it as a finished work. It stops to concern you what's not yet working. You start to build life and confess as you see it in the spirit. If you learn to get a hold of that, if Philip and the other disciples had just gone out and said, Let's get this guy's food, the man has sent us. And I was even sharing with my fellow pastors. When you are sent by a man of authority and he tells you, go and do this, you have gone in everything that operates in him. yours added also. You see what I'm saying? You don't say tell how you see sometimes I tell him heal the sick. You take that guy and pray for him. I'm serious. It's a command. You see what I'm saying? Ate now how what? No. If I tell you go to this nation and preach, I mean it. Go. Don't ask Ate now how who will meet me. Go. 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 God told me, go to Hong Kong. Eh? I woke up. I got a leave as a banker. I calculated the money I had, booked a ticket to Hong Kong without knowing anybody. Are you following? So I'm entering the bank where I used to work to go and sign my last documents of my leave days. I come out of the bank on the stairs. I meet a woman. Hi, Apostle, you have blessed me so immensely. How can I meet you? I told her, I'm going to be three weeks out of the country. I'm going to Hong Kong for ministry. When I come back, I'll meet you. She said, Hong Kong? And I said, yeah. Do you know my husband is doing ministry there right now? I said, oh, that's good. Oh my God, let me send him your number. Give me your number. When you reach there, he'll receive you. And so, true to form, when I enter Hong Kong, the husband is excited to meet me. That's how Hong Kong opened. I didn't know anybody. So I reach Hong Kong, and then this guy says, oh, you know, you've been a blessing to my wife, and then he starts to testify of the things God has done through me in her life. And he's a pastor too. Then he said, you know what? I have all these pastors' names and numbers. I'm going to call them and let you up meetings. So I started preaching in Hong Kong as one who had had programs for years. You see what I'm saying? So while I'm preaching on the second week of preaching, the Spirit tells me, go to Malaysia. So I tell this man, man of God, I still had a few more preaching engagements. But I tell him, you know what? I must obey what God is telling me. I need to go to Malaysia now. I don't know anybody. So I get all the rest of my money and the rest of that money could only get me a return ticket to Malaysia, Kuching, and then back into Hong Kong, then take my last flight back home in the third week. So I pay all the money that I had get into Malaysia, and then I send a message to a friend, oh, you know, I'm in Malaysia. He says, oh, by the way, there's a student there who used to have a family that hosted her. Let's see if we can call them. I have not asked anything. So they call this family. Oh, he's welcome. So I enter this family. And in this family, one of the sisters of the lady in there has a boy who is deaf. So I minister there and I do everything. And you know, after ministering to these guys, I'm sharing, interestingly, these two guys also had a church. So I ministered in their church there. And then as I'm leaving on the last day, this lady insists, you must meet my sister. She's delaying me. I'm in check-in. The flight is almost leaving me, my sister. Then this lady keeps calling, please help, please help, please help, please help, please. I need to see this guy. And I'm waiting almost. They're almost closing the check-in. And then eventually the woman arrives in the last minutes before the check-in is closed. They bring a little boy. Sammy has hearing problem. I put my hand in this boy's ear. I think one of them had a metal and they had fixed some machine there to help him hear a bit. And it was disturbing. So, even the machine... One of them disappeared in the ear. <laughs> Sammy's ears opened. And I said bye. So this woman gives me an envelope and in that envelope was the exact amount of money for my plane ticket from Hong Kong to Malaysia and back. Now, I reached back home in Uganda and Sam is hearing. That's how Funero Malaysia opened. Hey. Do you understand what I'm saying? And now they've even gotten a place of worship. So when you go to Malaysia, they have where you can go to pray. Funero home. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But where did that begin from? Go to Malaysia. Don't ask how. If God says go to school, wake up in the morning and put on some nice tinctures and go to class. Whether you paid or you have not paid fees, enter that class and sit down. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Feed them. Feed them. Feed them. But there are more than 10,000 people. Feed them. You never ask whether you have what it takes. But the fact that God has told you feed them. It means you have it. Build that building. Build it. Build it. Establish it. Establish that academy. Now. How? Establish it. How? You just establish it. Don't ask how. I know what to do. You do your part. I know what to do. By the time God told you to do it, He already had supplied everything you will need to do it. One time, the Lord told me, start a television station. And then I got my papers applied, did everything they need. The process there and the corruption that sometimes comes through our people I couldn't get through. I put in my papers. I couldn't get answers. I tried and I couldn't. And then I remember one morning, there was a television where we used to do our programs from and these guys treated me very unfairly. And then I went to God angry and I told him, God, do something to heal me because I'm so wounded. And the Lord told me, but I told you to start a television. It's your fault. Yeah, it's your fault. I ain't going to do nothing I separated myself went on the rooftop commanded things a woman walked into my office and said Apostle Grace I have come for one purpose to help you set up a TV station oh just the next day and then she told me give me what you have in one month I had a license. One month. Four weeks. Of what had taken me months to do. God sent the right person and God arranged everything. I never met not even one person. I just found a license on the table. That's how Manifestive is working. I can tell you testimony upon testimony. When God tells you build it, just build don't ask how when he tells you feed them just tie your spirit and command things that will happen raise your hands right now and speak to God God. Speak to God. Speak to God. Grow ye in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible says to Him be glory both now and forever. divide the sea he didn't tell him walk there and i will divide it no he told him you divide the sea
0: Jesus in my life even for his glory I'm on fire every day nothing can stop me I am getting bigger every day in my life i'm leaving for his glory i fire every day nothing can stop me doesn't matter what i face i am getting bigger every day face you are progressing you're advancing every day
1: The seas we will fix our homes, we'll fix our bodies, we'll feed the hungry, we'll build in the sky, we'll change this nation, we'll write history, we'll revive our nations. Kings come to our rising. Gentiles to our light strangers to serve all that we need is available and it is working right now for us I decree that every resource you need by divine mandate has been given everything that you dream of it has been availed and that God gives you wisdom and power to perform today Give him a mighty of praise. Come on. Come on.
0: Celebrate like you know what you just received. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now you understand why you cannot die early. Do you understand why? You cannot die early because it's in your hand. You understand why you can't be broke because it's in your ability to change. You understand why you cannot fail in marriage or business ministry. Whatever falls out, you put it back. Hallelujah. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you say, I want to be born again, you're going to repeat these words after me from your heart. Bible says with the heart a man believes and confession is made unto salvation. So say these words with me. Say Lord Jesus I thank you that you died for my sins. Say those words and that you were raised for my glory. Today I choose to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again.
0: Fellowships at the UMA Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the UMA Multi Hall. Finero, make manifest.